You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. But I want to start with this idea that I was working with earlier today. For some reason, I had found myself thinking about the story in Genesis 11 about the Tower of Babel. Have you heard this story before? Maybe you have. Maybe you grew up with it. Maybe you've um, recalled it in some way. I don't think I've actually ever explicitly taught that, that piece of the Bible, Genesis 11, where uh, there are people, whoever's assembled there, are building a tower, maybe to demonstrate power and superiority over God and God, who, this is an, a slightly unusual story, God says, let us go down, and uh, so I always wonder who's God talking to, who's the us, what's happening there, but they, they have a, frame, a framework that they're working with, let us go down and, and, and confuse them and have them speak different languages so they can't continue with their uh, project for domination or something like that. And God tends to do that in the Old Testament when people try to collect power on their own and try to rely on themselves and not on God, God scatters them, God confuses them, God offers retribution, usually in the form of a captivity under some other power or force. But God, through Abraham, finds a way forward and he makes a nation and develops a, uh, a particular covenant with a group of people, the same group of people that, he, that God frees from their Egyptian slavers. And when the people rebel from this vision that these people might reveal God to the whole world, and they try to sustain themselves apart from God, God scatters them again. But God always provides a remnant of hope. God is angry, but God's love is longer than his anger. Right? It, it extends further. Right? The whole refrain of the Old Testament is, your love endures forever. That is the one lasting characteristic of God. So there's always a remnant of hope. The Jews found themselves, after some time, we, I'm not going to go through all of Israel's history despite my uh, temptation. They found themselves under Persian captivity at the end of the Towards, towards the end of the Old Testament. The story of Esther will remind you of this, should you read it. God's people were spread across the region in, as a result of Persian captivity, but not as a result of uh, retribution. This time, they weren't spread around speaking different languages because they were being punished. They were spread around because they were free to observe their faith in Persia. It was a legal religion, and they could observe it. And so they spread around the region without a lot of centralization, not a lot of things holding them together, but they could read the Hebrew Bible in other languages other than Hebrew. It was in Aramaic, and it was also translated in Greek. And so it was, it, Judaism was becoming an international movement, and the Jewish people were spread around, spread around the whole region. You know, only a few of them, got to interact with the fullness of the revelation of God in Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, right? Only, only people local to what he was doing, and Jesus had a very local mission. It didn't extend very beyond his, uh, his area. But on Pentecost, when they were all gathered 
in Jerusalem. Now, these are just Jewish people gathering in Jerusalem on Pentecost. The Spirit of God unites them once more. So in this case, instead of God scattering them apart and confusing them because they spoke different languages, in spite of the fact that they spoke different languages, God united them and allowed them to hear each other. What's the difference between the story of the Tower of Babel and this account of Pentecost? What they wanted to build glorified God, and they wanted to build the church. This is how the church started. So I have a bunch of slides that are irrelevant. There's some peeps. Could you imagine how cool this would be? This is, this is the one I want, the very end. I'll go back to these guys in a second. This image of Pentecost gathering people from all over the region, really a beautiful image for me. Despite not being physically beautiful, it, it represents something more, that God speaks to us in a language that we understand. And we see this very explicitly in the second chapter of Acts. I love this map because it shows us that something gravitational is happening in Jerusalem. Jerusalem doesn't contain the gravity, but something with gravity is happening there. Something is pulling people to Jerusalem. Gravity is still a mystery. We don't exactly know how it works. Physicists are still not sure. Isaac Newton says that gravity is a force that attracts objects to other objects. Einstein disagreed with him and said, no, it's a force that disturbs space-time and that disturbance disrupts it enough that it pulls causes objects who are on a straight path to be disturbed and thus compelled. And the second reason I like this, first is because of the gravity, the second reason is the church in its formation causes a disturbance large enough or a force big enough, depending on if you're Newtonian or an Einstein thinker, that it pulled people from across the world, including from two different empires. Because you can see the Parthian Empire and the Roman Empire there fighting and wrestling for territory. And the church exists despite the empire. It's a great image of indifference, of indifference to the powers. Because our power, our leader, is resurrected. It's a great sign that the gravity of the church is greater than the gravity of the empire. Pentecost worked because there was a truth that was revolutionary. It drew people in, and moreover, people stayed to understand it because it was delivered to them in a language they understood. And they continued the movement because that truth was applied in a body of believers. Peter, in his long speech, you can read all of Acts 2 tonight if you want, in his long speech, which, which was purposed around a prophecy in the book of Joel, and he was bringing the truth of the revelation of God through Jesus to the people there, delivers the basics to them. Jesus died for us, resurrected, and has given us a chance at new life. Peter's basic point is that Jesus freed us from death because he conquered death. But we respond to that truth with action. We repent. We change our ways. We publicly declare it in baptism that we're forgiven. And so for us, we have the same truth, and it might actually give us gravity. But we need to consider how we deliver the message, specifically in our time and place. 
How do we keep the message that was broadcast 2,000 years ago going in 2019? Practically, we actually try to use different languages as a way of knowing the worldwide church is greater than the expression we have in Philadelphia. Like that's why we would sing so many songs in different languages to be conscious of the fact that the worldwide church is bigger than we are, but also to be conscious of the fact that there are people here that speak those languages too. You know, you never know who speaks Mandarin that's in this room, right? Something else is happening. That's why, that's why we approach it that way. But we also want to speak that we also want to speak to people today uniquely, knowing that they receive truth differently. I want to go over six heart languages, languages of the heart that are used to express the gospel that are a part of the great tradition that we have. Richard Foster describes them in his book, and I wish I had slides to show you all these things. I don't since I pulled this um, since I pulled this sermon from the Obama administration out, right? Um, I don't have a slide for you, and I'm going to go over some content, and there's too much in it. But Streams of Living Water is the book it's based on, Richard Foster, and we also reference it in our Sunday meeting plan. When I go over these six streams, I want you to think about which one resonates with you, or imagine somebody that you know where one might resonate with, okay? That's the thing that we're doing. Remember, these are languages that express the same truth. These aren't the only six languages we have. We've probably developed a few more in the interim, right? And we might keep developing more. So there's, let's, let's go over them. First one is the contemplative stream. Jordan Burge is my example of the contemplative stream that we have. He doesn't limit himself to such a, to such a framework, but... He is uh, at least one of our resident mystics. He has contemplative prayer every, Saturday, every other Saturday morning in this space if you want to uh, have that prayer-filled life. In this stream, we acknowledge how important it is to pray to God and give God loving attention. John the Apostle is an example. Julian of Norwich, the first woman published in English. Thomas Merton, the... Uh, the, the, the monk that lived in Kentucky. Henry Nouwen, who we might be familiar with. Those are influencers of the stream, and there are more and more. It pushes behind just our brains and the cerebral and develops a heart-to-heart -heart connection to God. In our silence, we lose our thoughts in order to make room for God. It's mastered by lovers of silence. It flames the fans of love. It fans the flames of love is what I meant. It recognizes that we are alone and it comforts the lonely. But it has some perils. It risks making the spiritual not ordinary. The spiritual is something else. It encourages us it encourages us sometimes to have an unhealthy divorce from society. It can neglect community, and it can devalue intellect. 
the healthiest expressions of contemplation or the contemplative stream don't necessarily fall into those pitfalls, but they are pitfalls nevertheless. Contemplative stream. Then we have the holiness stream. It focuses on your character, doing what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Think of James, the writer of the, uh, the, 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 writer of the book of James in the, gospel, in, the, in the New Testament, or Teresa of Avila, or her friend, St. John of the Cross. Or you might think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, the famous Nazi resistor. Or John Wesley, who brought Christianity to England um, and got the coal miners there to stop drinking gin and follow Jesus. Or Menno Simons, who's close to many of us in the Anabaptist tradition. The, the, uh, really the man that saved Anabaptism from, uh, from the Munsters, I would say. If you go back to history and you find out these violent Anabaptists that tried to take over a town for two years, Menno Simons <laughs> saved us. You can actually live a whole life, is what they say. You can live a whole life in a dysfunctional world. You can be a Christian even though Trump is president, right? That's the idea that they're working with. You can overcome all the sin that tempts you. You can be regenerated. You can form a personality that reflects God. You can reflect God to people. It's action-oriented and it continually shows us God's transforming power. But it has perils too. It can be legalistic, driven by rules. No drinking, no dancing, no driving Porsches, fancy sports cars, you can't do that, you know. No eating beef, you know, rules that you live your holy life by. It creates a meritocracy, a system that gives you value based on what you've accomplished. So it can lead you to be judgmental. You're perfect and no one else is, or your community is perfect and no one else is, right? That's the peril of it. Contemplative holiness. Charismatic is the next one. I, I, I'm fond of the charismatics. The Apostle Paul was a charismatic. St. Francis was another one. <coughs> William Seymour would be another one, right? William Caesar, the Azusa Pacific Revival. Azusa Street Revival. This is all about living through the Holy Spirit, developing a consciousness for the gifts you have, being able to give and receive and knowing your limitations and being able to be united despite diversity. This God in this stream is not domesticated. Wild God makes us energized and motivated. Long worship meetings right? Never complacent. It honors us as God's creatures. We're like God. We can do things like God does things. But its peril is it struggles because it can make religion seem magical. It can make Christianity seem like magic. It also rejects the rational and the intellectual. So it can often leave people that are, uh, um, uh, have those proclivities a little bit isolated. It makes us, it can make us less responsible because we're limited by our gifts. 
Those are some of its perils. And also, oddly, it often deals with, it, has, it often has a preoccupation with a, um, speculation about the end times for some reason. So if you, there's, in the charismatic stream, there's a lot of random, not, I wouldn't say totally random, but a lot of speculation about what's going to happen after. So I'm not sure why those two go together, but they seem to for some reason. Um, and then you have the social justice stream. So contemplative, holiness, charismatic, social justice. Social justice has so often been drowned by evangelicalism that it is often the stream that Circle of Hope is most known for. And that's exactly why I joined Circle of Hope, because we were a peace church. We opposed the war in Iraq. I've been here through many administrations, you can see. The Acts deacons influence us. Luke Acts, the whole epic there. Martin Luther King Jr. is an example of a social justice stream. Dorothy Day would be another one. Mother Teresa, Desmond Tutu, Richard Twist, the Catholic workers, the abolitionists, all these people, you know, even our own Shane Claiborne would be in that group, right? That's what we're talking about. The list can go on and on. The question they answer is, what if Jesus really meant what he said? Loving God means loving our neighbor. Justice, peace, compassion are crucial characteristics of Christians. Faith becomes real, not rhetorical. Our ethics are personal and they're social. They're real. They exist. And it helps us to apply prophecies. Perils include... Sometimes social justice is salvation on its own. Sometimes we might think all we need is a better political apparatus to be saved. Our commitment to simplicity can be legalistic at times. Sometimes our political stances get too much emphasis. And we can focus on politics more than Jesus. And sometimes we can be merely tolerant instead of loving. Contemplative, holiness, charismatic, social justice, evangelical. The evangelical stream started right off at Pentecost. Peter is one of the main influencers. So are Martin Luther, the reformer, and John Calvin. Those two influence evangelicals, but they're not necessarily evangelicals in their own right. And C.S. Lewis, they're committed to declaring the gospel. Scripture is a faithful repository for for the gospel, for, for the gospel it's a, they, they are biblicists. It creates a confessional witness of early Christians. It's committed to reading the Bible. It's committed to sound doctrine, spreading the gospel. But it can sometimes focus on peripheral issues that kind of make it, that, 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 that turn them closer into fundamentalists. It can be divisive. It's often intolerant. It can be arrogant in its certainty. It can be too rationalistic, too scientific, or at least uh, a facsimile of science, which is it's, it's a peril because it doesn't really, Christianity and our whole faith doesn't really work like science does. So when it tries to act like it, it, it's, it doesn't work. And it can sometimes view the Bible like it's a fourth member of the Trinity. So um, kind of treat the Bible even as an idol. So there's something, those are some of its perils. Finally, we have the incarnational stream. Contemplative, holiness, charismatic, social justice, evangelical, incarnational. 
maybe the most beautiful stream. Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, Bach, Dostoevsky. It's focused on how God is manifested in material means. It marries the religious and the everyday. Icons are a big part of this stream. We see God now in the earth and around us, and God is rooted in everyday life. God is among us. God gives meaning to our life, and it, and it, and it, and it, and it, connects the, it corrects the separation of the physical and the spiritual, the sacred and the secular. We're a sanctuary for the spirit. But it can make material things idols. It can manage God through external things like sacraments, lighting candles, becoming a member. And ultimately in its peril, managed God through a ruling council, through a magisterium, through an empire, through a huge power structure. Still a beautiful, maybe the most beautiful stream we have. And maybe one that we uh, lack in, right? So, and, and, we, and we excel and lack in a variety of these, you know, because we want all of these streams to influence us. And we actually want them all to be a part of the Sunday meeting, all of our worship experience. Maybe not every week, because some week we might feel more Catholic and some weeks more Baptists, you know, depending on how it's working. But they're all for us. They're all available. And these are the languages that people speak. And maybe we need to add more to the list so we can speak to more people. People identify with worship that's this diverse too. It's centered in spiritual, like the contemplatives. It's energetic and emotional, like the charismatics. It's, it's rational and intellectual, like the evangelicals. It's beautiful and artistic, like the incarnational. It's concerned with correct behavior like the holiness people. It's action-oriented and just, as in social justice. There are more and more here, but it seeks to deliver a truth that Jesus saves us, and in him we're building his body. And there are multiple languages that are similar. That, that, that those multiple languages are similar to the ones that we heard on that day on Pentecost. Pentecost worked because there was a truth that was revolutionary and so it drew people in and people stayed to understand it because it was delivered to them in a language that they understood. That's what we're trying to do today, to deliver that same message in a language that people understand. So maybe you, in these six streams, found a language that worked for you or one that seems a little bit off for you. Let's pray and talk about that, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for being here and present and faithful to us. Keep speaking to us in a language that we understand. May we speak to others in a language that they do. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.